Hello, and welcome back to They Made Another One, where each week we discuss an often forgotten installment in a franchise and see if you should check it out for yourself. I'm one of your hosts, Corey, and in the words of Judy, these characters are very hostile indeed. And with me, I've got Liam. In the words of Rock Hudson, frankly, my dear, I don't really give a damn. <laughs> and that's, that's Clark Gable. Uh, in the words of Edward Randolph, once you find the way, you'll be bound. It will obsess you, but believe me, it will be a magnificent obsession. Oh, he said the thing. I said he it like said Grandpa Seth. Like Grandpa and then the Seth. title card smashes on the screen. Magnificent Ooh. obsession. I really love that modern trend of putting the title at the end of movies. I gotta say, I'm a sucker for that. I think it's sick. Liam, why did you say that just now? What? The thing that Rock Hudson did not say. Isn't that, isn't that from this movie? Let's go with the wind. Let's <laughs> go with the wind. Did you watch the movie, man? <laughs> <laughs> what movie did you watch? I watched the one where fucking Rock Hudson, he's like in an old movie and there's like... What was you know, it about? What was it about? Off. It was about a magnificent obsession, of course. That's why the movie ends with... Uh, with what Mitch just said, the magnificent obsession thing. <laughs> Liam, this, I, me. Liam, this is so important. At any point, is there a boat accident? I think he's remembering the. You like, mean like sleepaway camp? I did exactly not watch sleepaway like camp. Is it, if well, that's okay. what you're getting at. Do you remember the part where they burned down Atlanta? Mm. <laughs> no, wrong movie. Anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah. So. At any point, does anybody um, burn a witch alive? Yes. Mm. Yes? Okay. Yep. yep. Then we're probably talking about the same movie. Okay, good. I, time will tell, I suppose. That movie is, as Mitch has lovingly told us in the voice of the one and only Grandpa Seth, <laughs> Magnificent <laughs> Obsession. Um, this is, uh, I'm going to go ahead and just call it uh, a Mitch classic. In terms of its pick, in terms of its tone, we've we've got a little Dougie Cirque action, some Douglas Cirque action. If you've got um, Criterion Channel, you can just readily watch this movie right now. It's on the front page, front page news, top of the spread. But before we get to uh, magnificently obsessing over this particular film, uh, I wanted to tee us up a little bit of Power Rangers discussion from last week because we actually got a voicemail. Like it's 2006. Somebody called us up. Some fan feedback. It's from our friend of the show, Danny, from the uh, Next Issue podcast, where they do a lot, a truly prolific amount of coverage of of comic books and pop culture. You can find them on Twitter and everywhere. Next Issue podcast. Next Issue pod, I should say. Um, And he is a good pal, and he reached out. He had some Power Rangers thoughts to hit us with. So without further ado, fellas, I'm going to hit you with uh, with Danny's thoughts real quick. Everybody good? I'm good, yeah. Though it just occurred to me that Danny hasn't heard the episode, right? Power Rangers episode isn't out That's yet. true. That's dangerous. <laughs> uh, I don't think he'll be leaving us voicemails once he hears what I have to say. But, uh, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> keep going. No, okay, okay. But, okay, here we go. Hey, guys. Daniel here. Um, I just wanted to send in a little message because Power Rangers is one of my favorite uh properties overall like i really love i grew up watching the power rangers so when i heard this reboot was happening 
uh, I was just excited. I don't I don't go into these movies looking like oh they're gonna ruin my childhood because I don't think that's what happens. Uh, but look, I know this movie isn't perfect. Uh, this movie has a lot of flaws and it's just not the best. But I really enjoyed it. Um, I mean, the movie. My favorite quote from the movie is, "We have to stop Rita before she gets to the Krispy Kreme." And then Goldar that's literally made out of gold. Like that's fucking insane. Uh, so yeah, uh, I look forward to listening to the episode. Uh, but, but I'm glad you guys did Power Rangers 2017. Uh, I wish they would make more of these. I don't really know what's gonna happen. So, but yeah, thanks. Uh, love the podcast. Keep everything you're doing. Uh, take take care. Oh well, Dang, thank you, thanks, Danny. That's that was so awesome. Thoughtful. So we were ple- we were pleasing the listeners from day one. He didn't even hear the episode yet. But yeah, I mean, I think I'm totally right. Like, I think there's a lot of space for. On the one hand, just, you know, I'm just happy to see more of this. It doesn't have to ruin my childhood just by virtue of existing. And also just that that movie's super stupid, <laughs> but like in ways that I find really charming. What, the Power Rangers movie? Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm I'm super glad that you like that you wrote in or that you called in and were like, I love this movie. It's like got a lot of problems. I mean, I, I've kind of got caught up in the problems a bit too much and now that a week has kind of passed and i've thought more about it and i'm like you know the wounds aren't aren't still as like swollen i like maybe don't hate it as much as i hated it last week but whoa um we have to ask mitch about power rangers in a month it's gonna be like right up there with like yeah heaven top 10 yeah <laughs> at no, least it'll be up there wait i can't say that we haven't talked about the movie yet technically <laughs> yeah it's true the linearity of how we're doing this has we really nobody has to know whenever really this was recorded weird. in reference to what you're about <laughs> okay, to hear okay. we live in the time stream <laughs> pay no attention to the man behind the velvet curtain well that was great thank you danny for the voicemail you have you have single-handedly changed mitch's opinions of power rangers um and uh, please let us know what you think about the Power Rangers episode, because at the time we're recording this, we don't we don't actually know what you think. And so, yeah. so we're gonna, he's going to be like two weeks behind letting us know, because then <laughs> he's going to hear the episode. This will come out a week later. He'll hear me telling him to let us know, and then he'll let us know. We'll respond to it on next week's episode when we cover an episode, when we cover a film that you guys don't know we're covering. It, it, is, it is really wild. But basically... Talk to us whenever you want, and we will get to it. Yeah, Ken, thank you, thank us. you for Danny. Always, yeah, awesome. always write in. Like we always appreciate this. If you yeah. if you want to get in touch with us, we're pretty accessible. I'm not so much because I'm like a weirdo, but uh, you can always get in touch with the show, and I always love hearing from you. Don't be a stranger, folks. Mitch, I know that you and I have a bit of a Douglas Sirk history. I was wondering if you wanted to talk about that at all. A little oh, bit uh, of our <laughs> our experience with that guy. I'd love to. Um, I first started watching Douglas Sirk's movies. Well, actually, I had seen like some of the propaganda he had actually made in the 40s, just like um, by accident. He made one, I think it was called Hitler's Mad Men or something. And it's about... Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I watched that um, by accident because I was like really interested in, in sort of like American propaganda movies from the time. So that was like my first foray. But I didn't really know who Douglas Sirk was then. And... um. Then I started watching his movies uh, when I was living in Vietnam. Um, and so I watched 
written on the wind one night with Corey, and we both like because Corey came out to visit me, and we both like fucking loved it. And I just went off the deep end, and I watched a lot of his movies. Um, so picture this image: I have flown around the world to <laughs> to a place where my dear friend happens to be. We could do anything in, in this city that we could learn and experience and find joy in. And what we've decided to do, at least for one night, is we've uh, found a bootleg stream of Written on the Wind and are watching it in his apartment yeah. in Hanoi, Vietnam. Hey, I mean, it was like a... I think that was like... I think there was a monsoon that night or something. But It rained at, at least yeah. at some point to keep us inside. That was also uh, during the last of Sheila kick. Mm-hmm. that was around the same time yeah i mean we went and saw lots of things but we also do what we always do when we're together Scoped and that's some films watch some great movies so so yeah. yeah that's where my awareness of dougie cirque started um and then just recently because a bunch of them went on criterion channel i wanted to tick off the rest of the melodramas because those are i think the most iconic of his works i think that's fair to say i would say and so yeah. so i recently watched all that heaven allows which is just exceptional. I will say that uh, I was really high on it and I was ch- chatting with some friends and I will say that my my friend Emily, not a fan, not a fan of all that heaven allows. Really? We had, we had to talk through that a little bit. Yeah, so, you know, they're not for everybody, but um, I had a good time with my good friends, uh, Rock Hudson and Jane Wyman, and they're back in the saddle again. But... Mm. We already know that. And Mitch, in due time, I will ask you why you picked this movie. But first, this seems like a natural segue. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to Liam. I'm going to say, Liam, what's up with you and Douglas Sirk? Uh, uh, is, is that the dude in um, Star Trek? Uh, could you elaborate? The the captain. Oh, right. Uh, the William Shatner character, Douglas Sirk. Right. Yeah. Is that him? Yeah flies the enterprise yeah it's the same guy yeah no i haven't seen much of that uh never not a big sci-fi guy so i right. haven't really seen star trek oh but he was also in uh big trouble in little china right and the thing <laughs> yeah i'm cool yeah. with the thing i haven't i haven't seen big trouble yet but it seems kind of nice there's a there's a poster of it at a theater i like um it's so pretty, it looks it's good time it's a he's good guy. He's got muscles, fucking Douglas Sirk on the poster. Muscles for God. days. Dude is yoked. <laughs> but yeah, I don't think I've seen any of his movies. Except for until now. Until yeah. now. Maybe. Had we had we I'm talked sure. to him? Had we talked about him with you at all? No, um, not until like Mitch just recently started talking about possibly picking this movie. I don't remember if that was before or after you watched uh all heaven allows but in our, in our group chat it was right around that time you guys were mentioning his name but i hadn't i i at least hadn't i hadn't internalized the name before that at least until like this last week Corey and i have absolutely gushed about cirque in the chat like several times but uh you know probably has gone unnoticed but that's okay <laughs> let me hit a I'll, I'll hit a control f and see if uh, i've missed anything just like, for great. cirque that should do it but yeah not much not much for me Okay, so Mitch, I'm going to ask you the immortal question then. Mm. Why did you pick this movie? Oh, I am so glad you asked. Everybody um, sit down. He's going to talk for about 45 minutes and we'll come back and discuss. Did, did you mean like why, do you, like, why do you like this movie? Or am I trying to like weasel my way to find a criteria for like how it qualifies for our show's strict Interpret guidelines? Interpret the question however you'd like. Why did you uh, pick this movie? 
So I love this movie and I love Douglas Sirk. I don't think it's my favorite movie by Sirk by a long shot. Like I, I think I prefer All That Heaven Allows and Written on the Wind is my number one. Um, but I think it's an interesting movie and I think it's, I picked it because people have been making other ones forever. Um, and I thought that like these sort of string of movies that Cirque made in the fifties, like he, he remade quite a few ones that are based off the movies of, of John M. Stahl and, uh, the John M. Stahl movies, uh, came out in the, um, in like the mid to late thirties. And that's when he, he made like imitation of life in 1934. And then he made, um, Cirque made interlude in 1957 which is a remake of when tomorrow comes and so you've got like he he remade like at least like three um of of the um movies by uh by Stahl and in the process of like where they they rewrote them and they kind of adapted them um they were like you know like what was really 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 successful in the 30s and can we do that again in the 50s because um like the, like theater audiences weren't getting as many people. There was competition with television, so they were like, "What were like the biggest successes? Let's try to remake it." And one of the biggest successes was, um, like Magnificent Obsession in in 1935, and that's the movie with uh, uh Robert Taylor and Irene Dunn, who were uh, big stars. This one actually made uh, Taylor a really big star. Um, so I just picked it because I think it's an interesting example of making another one. I feel like even though like, um most of us probably haven't seen that original it's uh to me like an interesting example of that uh going on so yeah that's that's why i picked it and i'm just a sucker for douglas sirk i've and i i'm i'm fascinated by him as an individual and his career and i hope that we can talk a bit about like that later too and his history as a director because it's really interesting and unusual yeah i think we're in similar boats i think mostly what i mean is i'm a sucker for douglas cirque man and mm. i don't think i am i i am in a very specific sense and uh, i was actually just saying this to you but i feel like my my sense of what douglas cirque movies are is very skewed by the fact that the movies that i've seen are written on the wind magnificent obsession and all that heaven allows mm. um which have a lot more in common with each other than I imagine they do with the rest of his movies. Um, but I could watch a Douglas Sirk movie. I feel like certainly when I was only going off of um, all that heaven allows and written on the wind, mm-hmm. as I clumsily attempt to keep my hands close to my chest here, my cards close to my chest, but like I could watch either of those like any day, any time, like if somebody put it on, I will watch it. I am ready to go at all times for a Douglas Sirk melodrama, I think. And it made me excited to see more of them with this one. I was just glad that there was stuff that I hadn't gotten to yet. There's a, there's a lot to do and a lot to see. He made quite a few movies. Um, On Criterion Channel, like a year or two ago, they had early Sirk, which is kind of interesting because it was early, but they didn't really go early enough. Like it's they they went to like his stuff in the late forties, a scandal in Paris, lured. Uh, but he had been working for like a decade before that. Now, um, uh, so there's like there's like a varied sort of career and sort of a career that um spans over different languages and cultures and ideas. And he he jumped around a lot. Um, 
earlier on. Um, Douglas Sirk wasn't his real name. He was born as Hans Dietlef Sirk in, in Hamburg in 1897. There's the reveal and, for Liam who didn't know what yeah. that name meant. And so he kind of came of age in like working in the theater in the late 20s and he started making movies in the mid 30s in Germany. And if you were making films in mid in the mid 30s in Germany, you're working for Ufa, which uh, was like the the main sort of film distributor and it was controlled by the the Nazi government. Um, so he started off making movies in Germany, right? Like like so many other um, great talents at that time. The only the, the good thing is though is that like he didn't like the politics there. His second wife was um, was Jewish actually. So in 1937 he fled. He made the movie in Holland. He made a bit for British productions as well. And then he came to America, uh, where he had a career that was sort of ended abruptly in the late 50s uh, due to kind of permanently being an outsider in his career and um, not necessarily being like loved and his, his work was kind of misunderstood because it was not appreciated at the time when it came out that his melodramas were thought of as weepies or what they called women's pictures which is very sexist but that's what the the phrase that they use sort of films hey this one for the gas yeah yeah this, or and it was you know usually greenlit by a bunch of dudes in the boardroom like what do we want but um yeah so uh but Cirque I think now has been like sort of rediscovered as like one of the great stylists and that sort of happened in like the sixties and seventies. But, um, there was a scandal that occurred in the late fifties, uh, that involved Lana Turner, who was the star of imitation of life. And that she was dating a well-known gangster named Johnny, Johnny Stampanata and in, in Los Angeles. Johnny Stampanata. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> He was he was very abusive towards her, and uh, uh, that's not like, funny. Yeah, just, like, Ma- way to way to just kick me in the teeth for laughing at so- the hilarious name Johnny Stampanata. <laughs> Sorry, at least man. you edit the episodes, Corey. Otherwise, Mitch could take your <laughs> laugh and put it in the wrong place. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so yeah, he was a real piece of shit, and um, one night when he was, I'm pretty sure, intoxicated and like trying to like break into their apartment, he, he did get inside. And Lana Turner's daughter stabbed him with a kitchen knife and killed him. And it became like a, one of like the biggest scandals of the, of the day because of like a Hollywood star involved in like a murder of like a well-known gangster. And yeah, her daughter did it. It was like a mess. And so Cirque was just like really disillusioned with all of that. And he left and he had also like his, like the, the movie he made before this, A Time to Love and A Time to Die was dedicated to uh, Douglas Cirque's, I guess not dedicated to, but it, it, it deals a lot with like, I guess his feelings towards his son. Uh, Cirque had a son with his first wife who was an ardent Nazi and um, they didn't talk to each other. They didn't see eye to eye. His, his son was raised with his first wife who was also an ardent Nazi. And uh, because Cirque married a Jewish woman, his son didn't like him. And he, they both actually started working for Ufa around the same time, making movies to get like, not w- with each other, but for the same studio. So they saw each other around, but they didn't like each other. And, um, his, his son went on to work for like an, uh, or to, to serve in an elite panzer grenadier division and was killed in, in the Ukraine, um, 
during the Second World War. And so his second last movie is about that. So he kind of gets like a, a bit more introspective and his movies just weren't really uh, accepted in America. And he was, was in many ways too ahead of his time. So that's my rant about, about Cirque for now. I'll probably keep going, but. I guess uh, what I want to quickly set up before I, I actually end up probably tossing it back over to Mitch briefly is, um, Liam, what what sense did you have coming into this movie? Like now you've obviously got a little bit more uh, Dougie Cirque knowledge, but like when we said that we were going to watch this and you looked at like what it was and like how did that square to your taste and what were you expecting and what was that feeling that you had like going into watching Magnificent Obsession? Dude, I thought I thought this was the frankly my dear I don't give a damn movie. I had no clue. <laughs> um, I didn't actually think that. I knew, I knew that the, I knew uh, what movie that was from. But this is probably the least I've known about any movie uh, cast crew filmic era of of anything we've done. Like you're gonna go through the cast and crew, and I, I guarantee you, I will not be able to say uh, about any of them oh, they did this thing, or you'll, you'll say like a, a, a movie they were involved in, and I'll say, oh yeah, I, I know that. I don't think it's going to happen. Um, I uh, My expectations for this movie was just to, to put it on and and see how it made me feel. Like Unlike A Star is Born, which is another Mitch, uh, another Mitch pick that is from, when did that movie come out, Mitch? The 30s? 50s. Is that the 50s. one we watched? Same year. Oh, okay, right. The 30s is the original one, hey? Yeah. Um, same with this yeah. one. Yeah. Right, right. So that movie yeah, was from the 50s. They're, they're and, both 1954. Yeah. And so um, even that movie, so out of my wheelhouse, I had like the Star is Born Legacy, which I kind of knew of, and the, the more recent Lady Gaga one, like A Star is Born is kind of a... Um, a, uh, I guess like a, a popular title, a recognizable title. But if this, if the title of this movie and like this, whatever you want to call it, franchise, you know, because I know it's it was a book, right? And then there was like an original mm. one in the '30s, and that's that's what we're doing yeah. here. I, if that's recognizable, it's it's passed me by because I've never heard of it. Um, and I didn't I didn't look up what the movie was about. I just accepted accepted that this was the movie, and so I I found a place to watch it, and I watched it. I had no idea what it was about i think mitch mentioned in the chat that it was like a romantic drama but other than that i had nothing um and that's it yeah i honestly think that's maybe like an ideal way to go into it right? i think so like, too that's not a bad yeah. Free, yeah. free of no, expectation I, I didn't mind. sounds yeah. pretty liberating like I, I even in modern day i try to avoid trailers and stuff because i figure that if a movie uh comes my way i'll I'll, then, then it's like meant to be. I'll hear about it mm-hmm. uh, from some way, and it'll get me interested. Or if someone recommends it to me, I'll put it on at some point without uh, researching and stuff. Like because I'm into movies, I already know way more than I would like to about uh, movies I haven't seen. So I, I would much prefer to <laughs> just have a movie um, suggested to me, and then I just put it on and let the movie do its thing. So, so I was all right with this. I was excited to watch it. Mm-hmm. Nice. So uh, now uh, I will turn over what I suppose are my usually my ceremonial um, cast and crew duties over to Mitch, who I think is probably better equipped to do that this time around and uh, give us a sense for what it is we're getting into here. Who who we got 
who's on the screen, who's behind the screen, who's camera. I gotcha. I gotcha. You know what I I'm mean. Gonna, I'll I'm take you off the hook. Taking um, a little bit of a hole here. I'm getting a shovel out. I'm getting a dirt shovel. It's digging a hole. Yeah. <laughs> you in that hole. It's some kind of magnificent obsession or something. Oh my god! It's uh, just like uh, at the Krispy Kreme. <laughs> god damn you! Okay, so. <laughs> So back at uh, it again in the magnificent obsession. Here's the uh, here's the cast. We've got the one, the only Jane Wyman as Helen Phillips. You may know her from the Long Weekend, divorcing Ronald Reagan. Yeah, she divorced Ronald Reagan in 1949. She was the uh, one before Nancy. Okay, Ronald uh, Reagan. I've heard of that guy. All right. Yeah. Well, he was a Nancy film star. Nancy Reagan, the throat goat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Liam, did you not hear about this? No. Yeah, no, that's true. It, it was a, it was a bit on fucking Twitter. I don't know. I don't even know how it started, but people were just calling Nancy Reagan throat goat. Oh my gosh, <laughs> man! If you ever get a, t- if you ever get a chance to go on a wild rabbit hole, read about Nancy Reagan and her relationship with her astrologer crazy read anyway i'm not gonna get into that. i feel like i know all about it apparently <laughs> no no she, like, she used to like ask them for like counseling on like on like like national affairs of importance and like every time like ronnie would get in a plane she would like ask to see if it was gonna crash or not and like they spend a whole bunch of money big scandal both of the both women like mentioned each other in their memoirs and um yeah the uh <laughs> anyway why am i talking about this cast and crew Jane Wyman, Rock Hudson, uh, who is a Douglas Sirk regular, uh, written on the wind. Uh, yeah, all that heaven allows. Is Barbara, written on the wind the one with uh, uh, my dear, I don't give a damn. No, that's gone with the yeah, wind. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Uh, <laughs> no, written on the wind uh, has Robert Stack, who's uh, your late night oh. host of Unsolved Mysteries. I do know Robert Stack. Okay. Yeah, Robert Stack the goat. Robert Stack. Robert Stack's pretty good. Oh, <laughs> come on now. Uh, you've got you've got Barbara Rush as Joyce Phillips, who um Barbara Rush, which is she's in um Bigger Than Life by Nicholas Ray and then a couple of other Cirque movies. Uh Agnes Moorhead, who's in Rebecca, uh, a handful of Orson Welles movies. Uh she cut her teeth in Mercury Theater with or- Orson Welles, like doing radio and shit. Um, very interesting star and also a Douglas Sirk regular. Then you've got Otto Kruger, who has a fucking amazing name, and he plays Randolph. Yeah, that's cool as fuck. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Otto Kruger, you might recognize him from uh, High Noon with um, Grace Kelly, or you might recognize him from uh, The Saboteur, like an Alfred Hitchcock movie. Um, he this played, is he played Polish is crazy yeah he played polished villains i mean it's almost as crazy as cirques right <laughs> he did a lot of, anyway so that's all i'm really going to go through because those are like your big names everybody else is kind of less more obscure um was there anybody behind the camera of note aside from the cirque man oh no so i'm going to go to the to like the crew now that was just the cast um right so yeah so i'm going to go to the crew so again directed by douglas cirque produced by ross hunter who did a few other cirque movies and he was a big sort of aesthetic guy he apparently he loved to like decorate the sets like personally and like spent more money on that than like anything else and it shows uh you've got the screenplay by robert bleas who had the idea of kind of like adapting these old movies um you've got the actual adaptation by wells root 
who did the adaptation for Prisoner of Zenda, which we watched on the show. Oh, no shit. Uh, director of photography, Russell Meddy, who I'm, I'm not familiar with. Um, yeah, Frank Skinner, who did a whole bunch of um, soundtracks in the day. And yeah. So my favorite thing about the credits of this movie, and I, I would personally say that it's a good sign. I've actually just restarted the movie so I can get this guy's name. But there is a specific credit in the opening credits that is just gowns. Yeah, they used to do that in the day where you just have somebody for gowns. I feel gowns. like that's such a great sign. When your movie's yeah. like, we had a gown guy. That's all he does. He does gowns. And that's yeah. just a delight, I think. <laughs> that is that is cool. Also, the way you said it, Corey, I thought you were saying that there was like an actor whose stage name was just gowns. If that isn't <laughs> taken yet as like a musician, I might have to pivot. Yeah, you could take it. You know, uh, just being in the house by myself is a little wordy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could be uh, that could be maybe I can establish it so that gowns is the accepted like short form nickname of just me in the house. Just by me myself. in the house by myself, a.k.a. gowns. <laughs> yeah. The artist formerly known as just me in the house by myself is now known as gowns. Yeah, gowns you say awesome. that in every that's press the whole piece. name. <laughs> anyway, shout out to my man, Bill Thomas on the gowns. Yeah. So. Is it time? Do we? Ha- is it time for the plot? Are we almost there? I'd Shall say we're we? here. Yeah, we can do the plot. So, um, picture the shittiest rich person you've ever met. His name is Bob Merrick. <laughs> Sounds about right. Sounds like a shitty rich person name. He's uh, <laughs> he is like st- attempting to get a get some kind of record in his speedboat. He's going like two hundred miles an hour in a speedboat, right? And everybody's like, hey, Bob, maybe chill out on the whole speedboat thing. Um, And he doesn't. And he crashes his speedboat and he nearly dies. But there is a resuscitator, whatever that is, um, that was in a doctor's house nearby. And the cops go and get it and they resuscitate Bob Merrick. But they take the resuscitator out of Dr. Phillips's house. Dr. Dr. Phillips! And Dr. Phillips has a heart attack (laughs) and he fucking dies. So now you have this pillar of the community that everybody loved, Dr. Wayne Phillips, dead as fuck. And you've got Bob Merrick, rich asshole with a speedboat that everybody hates, who is now alive. And you have this portion where Rock Hudson's character is grappling with the fact that he inadvertently meant that Dr. Phillips died. And in conjunction with this, you have um, Helen Phillips, who is his wife, played by Jane Wyman and their daughter sort of just being like huh okay this fucking sucks let's figure this out and they sort of get a lot of messages about him being like a great philanthropist and secret to people like dr phillips helping people and like giving money and advice in times of need and never repaying it and always doing it in secret there's this uh painter friend of the doctors who is edward randolph um, otto kruger otto kruger um and you know he essentially says because they find out that like they're not they have no money because the doctor was giving it all away and auto and uh, edward randolph is like it's it's because it was he didn't care about material things it's about helping people and bob merrick is like oh, i fucked up so bad fuck and he wants to try to make it up to this family and like, that's not um, all he wants mrs phillips in particular and uh he he gets this advice from randolph about like 
this mindset that Dr. Phillips had that allowed him to be such an amazing philanthropist that he does directly compare to Christ at one point um, and how that mindset will kind of have positive things come his way. But in doing in so doing, um, he also uh, he tries a little bit too hard at the beginning and does forcibly cause a car accident in which Helen Phillips goes blind blinded the widow which is also his fault very directly he he Um, widowed (laughs) so he commits to becoming a doctor to like uphold this like mentality that dr phillips had and also make it up to helen and then he falls in love with helen and he takes on a new identity when she cannot see him and woos her through care and affection and love and they fall in love and go to Switzerland to try to fix her vision. And then she hides from him for like many years while he becomes a successful philanthropic doctor. And then they reconnect right at the end, near the end of her life, as he performs a surgery on her that helps her see again. Now, this movie is described as a melodrama, right? Yeah. Let me tell you, boy, howdy, does that plot check all of the melodrama boxes? Um, there's many twists and turns and swerves and swindles and, um, Rock Hudson's just trying to make up for his big fucking fucked it up. He fucked it up so bad. Um, that's what they could have called this movie. They should have considered Magnificent Obsession. It's a great title. It ties Magnificent Deception could also be good. Magnificent Deception. Or they could have just went with, boy, he fucked up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh man, he fucked up so bad. Sorry, yeah. Rock Hudson. Although, um, yeah, there's not really anything that magnificent about his deception. I mean, it's he's just like the, deceiving the de- a blind woman. The deception is quite fucked. Yeah. Um, the obsession, however, magnificent in the words of some. So that's we're, that's the scene set. Liam, batter up. I have to ask. Going in as you did, what did you think of? magnificent obsession what'd you guys think i thought i thought that you, uh, there's no we, way we you didn't don't like think it. you liked it we do there's not no think way. you would have liked it you both don't think i would have liked it is what you're saying well you might have i mean you like to star is born but i still don't think that this is it for you i agree with mitch's assessment i think you might like parts of it i think you might like the way it looks <sighs> well what do you guys think of this movie <laughs> Because uh, I asked the questions around here, Leonard. Because you, I've showed my because you got me pegged. <laughs> Dude. So, no, got, yeah, no, be specific. Come on, what'd you think? Yeah. Um it, it I did dislike it, I'll say that right off the bat. And I didn't dislike it because of like the abundance of bad things. I just felt like there was like a total absence of good things to me. Um, wow. Really? Yeah, like I, crazy. I just like, I can't, I couldn't get down with the acting. Like it's so, and I'm not saying any of them are bad actors. I know it's like a different time. They're doing a specific thing here, but I couldn't get down with any of it. It was like, I didn't like how, uh, how, well, how melodramatic it is and like, uh, stilted at times and just like, just so, so, uh cheesy even though i like cheesy movies it's just like this didn't feel like it was supposed to be cheesy it it seemed very straight-faced and so 
I think I would much rather take like a a more modern day drama or melodrama because of the way that acting techniques have evolved and and I can just relate to it more whereas in this in this uh, version I just like wasn't able to get into it at all um I uh when hearing Corey recite the plot back that sound it sounds pretty cool I mean like I might read the, <laughs> I, I I might like the book that this was based on more than the movie I think it's a fine plot but um I just thought like the the execution of it the you know the translation of it was just so um it felt it felt so flat to me and even even the way the movie looked i i didn't i found that um i wasn't able to to clue into basically if there was anything like extraordinary going on in this movie i i did not clue into it i thought that this was like pretty vanilla all the way through um and uh i just did not get down with it at all and i am i i really am sorry to say that but it's the way i felt it's all right but i would love to hear you guys talk about it because i i haven't heard people talk about this either i, I haven't looked into it afterwards so i want to see what's up what am i what am i missing i want you guys to uh we were talking before we started recording about how i watched when harry met sally recently and I feel like I must have missed something because a lot of people online, the majority of people, it seems, rave about that movie. And I mm-hmm. did not get it. And so I want you guys to explain Magnificent Obsession to me. At least Mitch. I don't know. Maybe Corey feels the same way I do. But oh, uh, I have nothing to hear what Corey thinks, too. Cause I, sure. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I kind of uh, already know. but <laughs> well, well, you never know. Not in detail, though. Yeah. Um, good specific. I, what I will say, I want to be upfront about this, and I have not seen Written on the Wind since we watched it, mm-hmm. but this might be my least favorite of the three Douglas Sirk melodramas that I've seen. That's fair. However, I still think it's great. However, That's- it's still the third greatest movie of all time. <laughs> I, I'm I, with you. I do think that All That Heaven Allows completely kicks this movie's fucking ass like up and down the block dude oh yeah absolutely. it's like not even a contest you guys like, are getting me excited now <laughs> i agree like I, I don't think it's but i don't think that all that heaven allows uh fills the criteria like i don't think it's a remake so i couldn't do it yeah uh, no but like i think that all that heaven allows for me is like the peak of like douglas sirk melodrama action yeah um he, that movie is so fucking good man um jane wyman jane wyman's performances she's so Cirque said that she has like quiet features and so she very sort of like understated um facial expressions but she always like brings me to like the verge of tears when I see her in like in Cirque melodrama she's just so like I feel so bad for her and she's like internalizing these problems and nobody like culturally understands her but because Cirque like has so much to say about like relationships and things that were ahead of his time, and I think that's probably in, in a lot of ways why he left Hollywood. Um, yeah, Jane but, Wyman yeah. seems to be routinely put in situations in Douglas Sirk movies where she's like unfairly uh, socially chastised for having the audacity to be a widow. Yeah, and it, like, it's interesting. It's interesting too, as a as a divorcee, like in the in like the forties, well, she nineteen forty nine. 
and she was also like getting older too. So it's 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 interesting that like the main love interest is like approaching middle age and like is, has divorced. Yeah, Ronald you don't Reagan even really and, see that now. No, you don't. Like, so it's it's kind of and it's like what do you do after like you've been like widowed? It's kind of a story that or what happens and like how do we how do we look at like or how to culturally like what do we think about what happens to like widows right i mean like and that's changed and in the 50s it was a very different answer where it's like they say in all that heaven allows just sort of like the old egyptian tradition of you know entombing bury him in the fucking tomb yeah um but what i will say just quick because i want mitch to get a chance to chime in early but for me like magnificent obsession comes first chronologically in like the four big mm. douglas Sirk melodramas i think you can tell i definitely I think this this feels like the first crack at things that would be improved upon in all that heaven allows and written on the mm-hmm. wind and mm-hmm. um, maybe imitation of life which i have not seen but um it, it does seem like a proof of concept for the things that he's trying to to do um that i think are just better executed elsewhere i i do think this movie is hampered by just how melodramatic it is Mm -hmm. um i found myself less interested narratively because it, it 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 borders on the ridiculous in a way that the others don't um and i found that harder to get into right away um with magnificent obsession like just the sheer audacity of like how these things play out and this connection that's formed largely in ways that we don't see um between this like core couple after that second accident where she goes blind like Mm. i feel like there's not enough of that and we spend a lot of time like with rock hudson and with these other characters and talking very vaguely about like how to address the situation and not addressing it and then when we do it's very um clinical and like room to room in a way that i just don't find especially interesting um yeah i'm and, with you especially yeah. with the, the drawing room bits with otto kruger and like the moralizing and all that nonsense i think it's kind of dull well, and then the procedural stuff with the doctors in Switzerland, it kind of bogs itself down. I agree, um, but the, the the Switzerland sequence as a whole, like, slaps. Yeah, well, <laughs> and, like, the moment where they get to go out is, like, a highlight, I think. Yeah. Because it really centralizes, like, these two actors and, like, the chemistry that they have together. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think this movie's interesting for just Rock Hudson's character being such a fucking prick which he's really not, at least not in all that heaven allows, which is the one I'm thinking of most recently, but like Bob Mary fucking sucks so bad in the Mm -hmm. beginning. And like that transition is interesting. And I would like to go against one thing that Liam said, which is just like, this movie's beautiful to me. I think like his Douglas Stirk's grasp of like technicolor is so good. It's astonishing. It's even like, it is relatively, muted here again all that heaven allows benefits from like the autumnal palette in a lot of ways i'd say this one movie still has that like autumnal palette no too, it does but just but, like the the way everything like yeah. much like the the narrative pops with the melodrama like the technicolor mm-hmm. pops visually and it makes the most mundane thing 
interesting. Like, even if you think about the set for the hospital, yeah, it's such an interesting building. Like, it's all glass, and you can see the exteriors, and there's plants contrasting with the, the, the exterior with that big white sign. And, yeah, like and people walking around in white. It's all immaculate. Um, yeah, and then um, even you know, like the Swiss interior of that apartment with, with like the oak furnishings like right in the middle of it or then you've got like the people's apartments that are just so mm-hmm. like densely decorated that even for a camera to move through them very plainly like mm-hmm. there's just something compelling about how it looks so i think like in terms of the visuals and the performances particularly from the leads who are crushing it there's a lot here but i think the the narrative focus and i would say the thematic focus too which is a little bit more vague and a little bit less cutting edge in a way by virtue of being hinged on a on a sillier premise like that's where Mm -hmm. the biggest letdown is and it does feel profound compared to his other movies that gap between them does feel noticeable to me yeah i i also i i think that that's fair i think like the other movies i think are more uh colorful and, and garish in a lot of ways and i think like certainly cla- in re- classically garish <laughs> yeah i mean then yeah in a classy way for the most part um but uh you've also got like like these psychosexual undertones that are like complemented by the garishness this one has definitely like some psychosexual shit going on but it, it's comparatively a bit that's more my subdued. favorite slipknot song <laughs> yeah um <another laughs> i was waiting for liam to laugh at that it took a second but i was hoping it was gonna show up Another thing that I like about this movie is like the sort of like the it has the seasonal changes that most Cirque movies have and like, you know, the autumn and all that. But it also has um, like different locations, like the the European sequences look and feel completely different than like the the Americana cottage core sort of like uh, like country resort town vibe that like the first half of the movie feels. And I really like that because like I love looking at like old sort of travel like mid-century like travel ads to like resorts and there's even a few like old like mid-century resorts like up in the woods like not far from where like we live and like just like passing by those those places and it looks like something out of a out of a feels local yeah (laughs) in a way local um yeah i there are sequences of this movie that shine but it's also the most i felt bored Mm-hmm. by one of these there's something that's so instantly compelling about i'm going to talk about all that heaven allows a lot because yeah. i saw it really recently but there's something so instantly compelling about just the way that like jane wyman and rock hudson talk to each other and that's in both of those uh, both of these movies but there is so much more of it in all that heaven allows like i feel like it's rooted in the relationship experience and like the the fact that both of them are on equally relevant journeys to each other that mm-hmm. then extend into having a thematic discussion about what was and was not socially appropriate but yeah. this feels more like segmented because it goes from like bob merrick being an asshole to helen reacting to her husband's death to bob merrick trying to like make up for it to him making it worse and then it takes so long for it to focus on that relationship mm-hmm. and if it is or isn't forming and they're playing a lot of like cat and mouse where they're not in the same place at the same time 
And I feel like it's a loss to not just be like, you know, this dynamic is great. Just go with it. Like when they're reading that the newspaper on the beach and it's like the two of them and also Judy, mm-hmm. like, I'm just like, this is, this is like, this is the shit that you show up for, right? Like yeah. you're paying the price of admission to a Douglas Sirk movie for shit like that. And I feel like there just isn't enough of it here to um really like hit that peak that I would want to see. And mm-hmm. instead we're getting more of the like very sort of like philosophical and flighty kind of parts of it where it's like informing like why Rock Hudson's character decides to take on a more like noble calling but then that immediately being framed in terms of like and also falling in love with jane's jane wyman almost like undercuts that in its Mm -hmm. own right like yeah i think i think that that's that's totally uh fair for sure like another one of the things that i i think makes all that heaven allows a more interesting or maybe like more emotionally impactful um movie is the fact that i think there's more cirque in it too like he more of himself and in his, his life um like he i think definitely knew what it was like to not like to have like your children not appreciate someone that you're dating right like his own his own son um, his son was literally a nazi his son was literally a nazi yeah and he was married to a jewish woman and so like like there's like that like source of of um of he knew a lot about that that tension, and I think he also knew a lot about being an outsider. Um, and I think it like those themes are more um, prevalent in in or prevalent in in um, in uh, the latter rather than this movie. But yeah, yeah, I will say this is also one of the lesser plausible. Uh, romantic lead turns so they can fall in love with each other instances like yeah jade wyman's like helen has no real reason to do that (laughs) other than recognizing that it was him like her while blind recognizing that it was him attempting to make up for his like misdeeds and potentially being moved by that but like he torpedoed her entire life yeah and then and then just spends a bunch of money to try to make good yeah and people chastise him for saying that's not the solution but for much of the movie that is the solution he's not Mm -hmm. a doctor himself until the end of the movie he's just attempting to better himself but like in terms of that relationship turn of the ones i've seen of his of douglas it's certainly the least plausible and i know it's a melodrama and plausibility is Mm -hmm. you know sort of like a thin line right like you same with like uh soap operas where it's like you know plausibility is not really the point and i think that you know i'm not going to say that I, there was no point in the movie where i wasn't moved by that relationship coming together because i was because the actors are really good but i just in hindsight like or in talking about it it's like it's funny because it borders on like being silly in that oh, way yeah. it is i think it is silly um yeah and a lot of people at the time thought that it was implausible and uh yeah, and I know plausibility is like not the point. Like mm. in much the same way that like in All That Heaven Allows are like written on the wind, like plausibility mm. also is not the point. Like all that heaven allows ends with like rockets are like falling off a cliff. Like, you know? Yeah. That sounds um, awesome. He lives, um, <laughs> for what it's worth. Less cool. Less cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's uh, but that's like most of um 
my complaints are like materially on that like narrative thematic wavelength and how it doesn't really get to the heights that his other movies do because i think with this being that first melodrama from him and seeing like where like the the stylistic visual elements are at and mm-hmm. what he's getting out of the actors like i think those hit the same levels like i think yeah. those are all like i have no complaints about that and i also think like uh barbara rush i don't think i had seen anything in anything before she's great agnes moorhead great but obviously the two leads are just fucking crushing yeah, Barbara Rush is really good in Imitation of Life by Nicholas Ray, who's very much like a like a similar sort of outsider push. Imitation boundaries. of Life or different? Oh, sorry, um, uh, bigger than life. It's with James Mason, or larger the, than life. The man himself. Yeah, what's it called? I think it's bigger than life or larger than life. Uh, it's from the fifties with James Mason. James Mason and Barbara Rush. Bigger than life. Yeah, bigger than life. And it's Walter great... Matthau. <laughs> yeah, Walter Matthau's in it. It's a, it's actually that was like the first movie to talk like frankly about like prescription drugs and how you can get like really badly addicted to them and how like maybe we shouldn't be giving like housewives like a cocktail of, all like, the time <laughs> prescription medications. And James Mason plays like a school teacher who gets like horribly addicted to like this experimental drug that's used to save his life, and then he like takes it out on like his family and his community and. Yeah, man, this tagline is so good. Um, the story of the handful of hope that became a fistful of hell. Yeah, that's pretty much it. So yeah, Douglas Sirk is kind of like a, a contemporary of Nicholas Ray in that regard, in the sense that they were both outsiders and they boundary pushers. But yeah, she's she's great in that. Um, Nicholas Ray, everybody should go watch in a lonely place. Yeah, essential viewing. Um. Hmm. What else um well actually quick before if before we pivot i guess i just want to get like liam's assessment of some of the more critical thoughts just to be like is that roughly where you were sitting with that or were you just like completely disinterested at the point of like not even really clocking it like what was your <laughs> level of engagement with it like and i don't mean that in like a shitty way but i just mean like where was it getting you at all or like was it you know did you check out pretty early or like what was that yeah, no, I know what you mean. Um, well, I, in in regards to the the blindness thing, I had certainly clocked it. I, I didn't, I didn't find myself um, getting tilted by it. I think because uh, um, by that point, like the characters had made so many nonsensical decisions anyway that like I I, I understood that like this isn't the type of drama where the drama comes from characters behaving the way that uh, you would might expect a real person to behave. And um, I think, I think um, Jane Wyman's character, when she becomes blind and just like, just being in distress all the time and just kind of like spending a lot of time uh, being really sour. I think that's pretty believable actually. I assume. Um, But then the, the fact that then the whole movie becomes like, how do we how do we fix her blindness and like uh um uh rock hudson's character is like trying so hard to figure it out um i think that's just sort of unfortunate uh and just a bit like 
it is it is uninteresting um by the time it's it's all said and done i was i was really following along because i didn't know exactly where the movie was gonna go because it had already it had made some some wild swerves that i wasn't expecting like the whole setup where uh the doctor dies because they use his respirator um i've never really heard heard of something like that happening and that's like kind of like macabre and awesome um and so i i I was thinking maybe the movie would uh would resolve the whole blindness um plot in a in a cool way and the fact that it, it just ends with her getting her sight back because he's able to like um come to her rescue it fits in with what I believe a melodrama is, but it it does bum me out. I just think it's like it's not interesting at all, and and adds to my feeling that this movie is unremarkable. Like Brianna, my partner, she's in a university class right now reading uh, Harlequin romance novels. That's mm-hmm. what the whole class is. She's that's kind of based. Like, it's it's very cool. She has to read like one a week, and so she's doing some of them on audiobook. So I'm hearing them, and also she's she's telling me about the plots of all of them, and and I and I'm I'm hearing like the style of writing, and I ask her like every week. I'm like, so what is the point of learning about this one? What are you guys gonna talk about? Because basically everyone sounds like the last one in terms of writing. All the writing is like terrible. Like just like objectively bad writing but like apparently like that's that's what you've got to do it's got to be like boiled down in really simple like repetitive terms and and that's what gets the story across and then the stories are all very uh predictable like these characters aren't interested in each other in fact they're at odds with each other because of some sort of uh inciting incident and then there's some confusion um which in this movie would be like uh rock hudson's character i guess lying about his identity and then um by the end of the movie things get cleared up and because they're cleared up and the tension is resolved the the characters are able to come together that's sort of just the the blueprint of these melodrama novels and i guess a lot of these movies too and so the fact that it happened here it just kind of it just kind of bummed me out because um i didn't have anything to take away from the movie in terms of uh plotting and and like i said unfortunately visually the movie it it didn't it didn't really get me like i found the second half of the movie did have some some interesting stuff going on with shadows like interior shadows that was nice and and that was particularly nice because i thought the whole first half of the movie was like it, it basically just looked like um like my memory of other movies from this era of which I haven't seen many, but if not that, like it looked just like sitcom houses or, you know, just like movie set houses that you build and you've got to shoot from like one of three angles. Um, And so I thought a whole lot of the movie was really boring looking just these characters in houses or like in the hospital room. I thought the hospital room um, looked so, uh drab and like flat and so once the shadows came in in the second half i did think that was very cool but um that's that's really all i took away from the visuals as well so so i i really am uh 
curious because if you guys aren't feeling that way, I'm surprised then, you, you know, weren't taking. What am I not visuals. latching on to? Yeah, tell me I'm, about some visuals you like. I love I love Cirque's use of um, of color. I love uh, the way that he uses his style to kind of accentuate his point. There's a great quote um, from Ebert about Cirque, and he says to appreciate. He's talking about written on the wind, but I think it still applies here. To appreciate a film like Written on the Wind probably takes more sophistication to understand than one of Igmar Bergman's masterpieces, because Bergman's themes are visible and underlined. While with Cirque, the style conceals the message. And I think that like his his style and like the way like the, the sense of personality in in his movies and how he intercuts with music, like the way that he uses Franz Litz, like constellations and like a few of Chopin's nocturnes in this, absolute weapon. Like the way that he just like <laughs> pulls out those like subtle piano keys and the the way that I think Jane Wyman's character moves through a screen and like her gowns and and again the use of shadow and color and blocking I don't know for me it it all really works and I think um he's like a a great stylist who um says what he has to say by often like uh, showing you through like style and creating a, a an atmosphere I also think there's like maybe a bit uh, of intentional contrast, but sorry. Oh, do you want to go first, Liam? No, no, you go uh, ahead. I just think there might be a bit of intentional contrast between. Um, I know you described some of it as like very sitcom looking or very like film set looking, but I think there's a bit of intentional intentionality in contrasting themes that fit outside of the norm with settings that fit within it. Mm hmm. And how it underlines the 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 outsider angle, or in this case, in some cases, more just the strangeness of what's happening uh, in a normal environment, rather than heightening it with some some crazy like spinning camera Dutch angle kind of thing. Like it's very, some of it can be very pedestrian, but it's pedestrian wielded quite well. And it's it's those things in tandem that go together, and then later you do get the shots where you get that chiaroscuro action, the like strong contrast with the shadows mm -hmm. and like half a facelit when things are getting you know real tense and showing his German roots, <laughs> showing his yeah you know. Shout out Professor Sanchez. Shout out Doctor Caligari. <laughs> <laughs> one, one time, um, but love your yeah, cabinet. Love a huge fan of your cabinets. They're all over my kitchen. I can't find anything. Everything falls out all the time. They're fucked. Um, five out of five. <laughs> Sonambulist tried to kill me in my sleep. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think that might be intentional, but I can see why that doesn't necessarily land still, Liam. Mm -hmm. I think uh, like Cirque also like a lot of the sort of like pedestrian, like domesticity, I think is like intentional because like he he makes it seem like a like like domestic life or like a lot of like those domestic realities or like the expectations of a society that comes with those realities as like nightmarish i think he doesn't do it as much in this movie as he does in his other movies but there's definitely still traces of that and you see a lot of that sort of echoed by other directors like david lynch or you see it in like um guillermo del toro's movies todd haynes even fassbender yeah yeah, I wonder if uh, I've just got to train 
my little eyes and ears to to uh, pick out this stuff more in these older movies. Um, I've just got to get more used to them because, um, again, in regards to these uh, Harlequin novels that Brianna is reading, um, they all sound the same to me. And I can't I, I tell her that I can't even imagine how you guys are like having a class about these books every single week and just not you're not discussing the same things over and over really um but at the same time uh if i were to construct a class about like the slasher movie uh you know um, i wouldn't just be showing slasher films that like deconstruct the genre um or are like cute great examples of the genre like you've got to get people set within the standard of the genre and i would be showing a lot of just like dime store slashers that i love and because i've seen so many of them i'm able to pick one at random even if it's not remarkable at all it came and went and like most people would would not give it uh um, much thought, I would be able to see stuff in it and uh, either relate it to other movies in the genre comparatively and, and tell you what it's doing, or I could at least just pick out interesting things that it is doing all by itself because I'm like attuned to the stylings of of that genre. And so I'm just wondering if maybe it's just uh, a lot of this stuff goes over my head because I'm not very familiar with melodramas or uh, Technicolor movies, movies from the fifties, you know, that sort of thing. I I think that might be part of it, but I'm really, first of all, I was going to bring up the slasher comparison. So I'm glad that you did because I think it's a great point. And I'm also glad that you said like familiarity and not like smarts, because I think that there's this weird conflation that people have where like being able to appreciate an old movie makes you like smart and dignified, which is absolutely not thing. Like, I think it is just a case of you've said before, I've not seen many, if any, of these. It's like walking into a whole different kind of movie making. And that takes adjustment. And that's not to say that you watch 20 more and then you watch Magnificent Obsession again and suddenly you like it. But mm. it's worth acknowledging that like certain genres and time periods and modes of filmmaking come with like an inherent language that you need to be able to understand in in both like mm-hmm. a literal and a generalized sense like also um, cultural as well like just that comes with the yeah. time right it's just so like disconnected from ours yeah and that's not to say that you would suddenly love all of these things but just like there's an angle to it and that i certainly s- still need to work on that myself even too like it's not something that just shows up but uh in much the same way that you know we we can subject mitch to some yeah like bootleg shitty s- slasher but we can still find stuff to say about it. I think this is the the other side of that coin. Um, I still love shitty slashers. Sure, we all do. Like, <laughs> you know, who doesn't? My bloody Valentine. Let's yeah. go. <laughs> take that. Take that. Oh, that's that's not shitty. That's that's high art. I agree. Yeah, but some people might not say so. No, yeah. Some pe- many people, people do. Saint Valentine. He would probably yeah. hate that shit. Yeah. <laughs> um. But uh, yeah, what I will say, though, is something that I would like to point out in specific for loving out of the performances is there's one person's performance that I think needs to be highlighted. Uh, I should have had this name up uh, beforehand, but they spend a little bit of time on a beach. And um, oh, that's convenient. So there's a uh, a girl named Judy <laughs> who's played by a girl named Judy. <laughs> uh, Judy Nugent plays Judy. 
Um, and man, she's fucking awesome. She she talks like a like an adult person, um, and wants she, to like read the newspaper and reads like, the funnies, reads the funnies, and like talks about how like war in Europe is or some shit. Like shit's fucking crazy. This kid is awesome. That she's was like, cool. I did. She's like, like her. reciting uh, whatever book that was to her, like chapters of a book. And when uh, Rock Hudson helps her get the boat out, she has this line of it being like, oh, what they said to me is like, you know, if you're going to be a woman and like you, you don't have looks, you need to at least have muscles. And I don't have either. Like, <laughs> just like the coolest kid in the fucking world. Like the kid that's wise, wise in years. A great, yeah. <laughs> great supporting. She, she, she crushes it. It's super fun. Yeah, she's great. Um. What what else do I like about this movie? Uh, also, while you're thinking, uh, this is again a really fun way to see Rock Hudson because in the other ones, he's not really like this. Like the beginning of the movie, like he's such a prick. He's more of a and, good guy in the in the others. Yeah. yeah, and it's fun watching him play just like an outrageous asshole. Yeah, and it's it's interesting too because like Rock Hudson, like. Cirque even acknowledged like when they started like working together that like he was not a good actor and like this was not the first movie that they made I together I I don't think it was anyway they, they think they made yeah they made a western before and um yeah it was uh, in, in that 1953. one that we were just talking about Son of Kitchis yeah where Rock Hudson plays uh, an indigenous an indigenous person, person which he definitely should not have been doing. should not have done um, <laughs> so but yeah um this was not like the first of the movies but this was like the one that like really hit it off where he kind of really came into stride because a lot of people weren't really sure about rock hudson or what he could like was capable of it's as so an funny actor. hearing about him talking that way or even having douglas Sirk say that because like I, every movie i've seen rock hudson and he's like fucking amazing yeah i, I mean, love the, rock hudson <laughs> I, there's a lot of movies he's in that i'm like i'm not like crazy but even like some of the movies he made with Cirque, like i don't particularly like the tarnished Ang- angels but i also don't like faulkner very much as an author and it's based off faulkner so I don't like him in that. And there's a few other. I didn't like him in Captain Lightfoot, which is a swashbuckler uh, by Cirque as well. Um, but yeah, I think he's he is a good actor and he kind of gets like shit on for being in like um, like soap operas with Doris Day um, and just sort of doing like movies that were dismissed for being like overly simple or like overly feminine for their time. And like, yeah, Um but I think he is like a very a very good actor with like a, a strong presence for sure. And also, it, it just gave me an excuse to learn about Rock Hudson, who is just a really interesting dude. Yeah, and it was very uh, very tragic end too. Yeah, and uh, like he was he was like friends with Ronald Reagan actually during the AIDS like epidemic. Like he knew Ronald Reagan and like because like they had been, they had like gone back a long time in Hollywood. And uh, yeah, I don't know like how how you could be friends he, with him. He could manage to be around Ronald Reagan as yeah. a gay man, one who must have been one of the most prominent early figures to die from AIDS in terms yeah. of celebrities. Like, has to have been. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know how he like swallowed his fucking pride and hung out with Ronald goddamn fucking Reagan. No, apparently but... Ronnie was really was really torn up when they died because he would like visit them on like sets. Oh wow, was like friends cool. With them, but, Good yeah. for him for having fucking empathy for one person for for his friend. Like what a fucking dick. yeah, you know yeah. Anyway, yeah, fuck <laughs> Ronald a... Reagan. Fuck uh, Ronald Reagan for the second week running. <laughs> yeah, 
Fuck, Ron- <laughs> fuck Ronald Reagan. Fuck Ronald Reagan. Yeah. Um, but uh, Jane Wyman, uh, as ever, amazing. Like she's got a really unique on-screen presence to me. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like I think you said it earlier, but like she can bring such like a a delicacy to certain things and a very like a subtle a subtle presence. anguish, like a yeah. subtle. She carries yeah. it all somewhere you can't quite see it, but it is there. You can like, tell like it's somebody who's almost trying to hide it, like it. Yeah, and almost <sighs> succeeding, right? But yeah, it's and that makes it all the more crushing, I think. And I think that's true of all of them. Like when they're going through her husband's, her late husband's things, and like people are trying mm-hmm. to come in and send letters in the room, and she's just like, oh, "Okay, yeah, like let this person in, and we'll have this conversation." Just a bit, there's just this this tinge of like. I can't believe I have to deal with all these fucking people. Right and now. she feels like the pressure of being of like nicety and like, and yeah. sort of like domesticity meeting and putting on your, putting on your, like your good face and being like being, yeah, meeting those expectations. And like all of that sort of like blends into this, like this profound, like tragic sense, like just not too deep beneath the surface, but it's, it's there. That's what makes it fun near the end when they have like that night on the town where she gets to like, finally feel some joy for the first time in a while and mm-hmm. you get this other side to it that feels like very underrepresented but mm-hmm. geez, I think all the performances here more or less are great yeah. but our leads are great Barbara Rush is also towing a really interesting line I feel like between like especially earlier on with wanting to thread the needle between like the her own anguish at the loss of her father and like supporting this person who's as we learned, like not her mother, but is her mother, right? Oh, well, he's only been her mom for like eight months or something, right? Like, however long she's and, been married, yeah. And uh, fu- just fucking hating the shit out of Bob Merrick, and like those those transitions and the way she's able to carry multiple different things like through a scene. I know it sounds very simple, but there's a way that she does it that is very compelling. I don't think, as I said, I don't think I had seen her before, but I was instantly very compelled. Mm-hmm. I think um, another another one of the great stars is Agnes Moorhead in this. Um and she's the uh like the the female she's the nurse, I think, who worked the person who yep. works alongside her her late husband. Nancy. Nancy, thank you. Um she's such an interesting actor because like Again, like somebody who goes like totally against type or could had like many different types. She could be like the the stiff, like upper lip sort of practical uh, woman who's dedicated her life to medicine. Or she could be like um, she's in like um, Magnificent Obsession and uh, or she's not Magnificent Obsession. She's in um, the Magnificent Ambersons. Uh, oh yeah yeah by orson wells like she had such dramatic range she's in hush hush sweet charlotte like she wasn't afraid to do uh roles that were like unflattering she's in citizen kane um yeah just a very broad range in in her work and i think that this movie is like um a very interesting and sort of subtle performance she's also good in all that heaven allows oh i'm just looking up who she is in citizen kane i didn't notice that no shit yeah. <laughs> I have heard of Citizen Kane. I know that one. Heard of it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, she's you, in I, I have you heard it. of Bewitched? Isn't it a TV show? Yeah. Yeah. She's in that. Hey. Do you <laughs> know, uh. I, yeah. What's up, Mitch? I said, do you know Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte? Because she's in that. 
Mm, I think my mom likes that. I can hear those words coming out of my mom's mouth, so I think she's mentioned that before. Now, Liam, I don't know if you were listening to CBS Radio in the 40s, but have you listened to The Adventures of Leonidas Withrall? She's in that. (laughs) (laughs) I knew I recognized that voice. (laughs) So, so Liam, I'm just curious, like, what is this is our discussion pre- presenting any new thoughts in your mind or are you like where where are we at what what is this is this bringing anything to the table for you it, not it, in terms it, of changing your mind but i'm just like what are you, what are you getting out of it like yeah where are we no at? well it it has me thinking just about uh the way that like appreciating movies works and the way that developing tastes work and stuff like i if if i do end up seeing more movies from this time and i'm sure just from this podcast i will <laughs> um I, I would be curious to like come back to something like this because I think it's funny that uh, I think I've been around like and funny haha or for yeah yeah sort of funny haha um, <laughs> Mitch has picked now like two movies from the fifties right Three. this one and Star Three. is Born oh and and, uh, and Prisoner of Zenda okay Star is Born is kind of um, I'm setting that one aside uh, in, in terms of what I'm about to say. And I, I did quite like A Star is Born, so that also might be why I'm setting it aside. But um, Prisoner of Zenda and Magnificent Obsession, it seems like both those both these times, I've kind of been surprised that Mitch doesn't actually seem to like these movies as much as I thought. Like, you like them, Mitch. You really like them. But, oh, they're, yeah. not, but they're not your favorites. And they're not, like, to you, like, great, awesome movies they're just they're just like they're good and you appreciate what they're doing and stuff but in both cases i was expecting you to be like firing on all cylinders like loving the movies thoroughly but more it seems like they're like good movies in an era and uh uh, like a genre that you appreciate is that fair to say i think that that is fair i think like building an appreciation for like a lot of the stuff that came out like during this time like i think when you like develop like a knowledge of like of like everything else that came out that same year and like all of that stuff i think um like helps for sure with building that but yeah i'd say like within a genre and with like a specific time frame i like those movies like i don't think that zenda is like a like the be all end all of like i don't think it's like even like the best swashbuckler of that period um but there's like enough going on that I really like, like technically and from a performance level. And I like that kind of camp. So yeah, I get you. So there's enough to sink your teeth into with it, I think. Mm -hmm. And so that has me thinking that like, I'm not actually not all that surprised that I didn't like either of those movies all that much, because Mm -hmm. if you really love this era and they're not even like all timers for you, and I don't mean all timers, like one of your three favorites. I mean, all timers, like I have, hundreds of all-time favorite horror movies you know like when you mm. when you love a genre the stuff can shoot way up there easily and so much stuff can fit up there and so the fact that like these two movies aren't all-timers for you and i'm just wading into them it kind of makes sense that they would be much much lower for me and then as may i i like watch more of them and like them more then they would go up and i think it also makes sense that a star is born is one that i quite liked because if i'm painting you correctly would a star is born be your favorite of these three movies that we've talked about probably not 
Mm, okay. Yeah, probably not. I think I really like A Star Is Born, but I think I have a bias for like Cirque and, and the Bucklers, honestly. I yeah, like A Star yeah. Is Born. Um, Sign me up for the Douglas Circus. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm much more of a, of a Cirque guy. Fair I like enough. George Cukor again. Similar sensibility, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I guess that's just our our sensibilities differing a bit there. But but I think the point stands that like if if these aren't your all time favorites within this area, then it makes sense that I would be even more mm. down on them. But then it, it would be like me showing someone a slasher movie that I saw for the first time. Uh, a few years ago before I even got really deep into slasher movies like, uh, uh, hell, the Texas Chainsaw Next Generation, mm. the original Slumber Party Massacre. Um, there's a movie called Final Exam. All these movies are ones that I originally saw and I was like, man, I thought those were really, really bad. And then over time, I've seen now so many slashers um, and, and just like 80s horror movies in general. Now I've gone back to those movies and I love them. Or at least I like them way more than I did, and so uh, that's that's mostly what I'm thinking about. Corey, mm-hmm. it's just like the way it appreciation works, and it's very cool. Yeah, I mean, even if if you had like an almost like a chemical dislike towards this movie, I wouldn't write off Cirque entirely. Like I, I think you mm-hmm. should definitely check out Written on the Wind if and, like anything yeah. else. And I am I am just curious to see those other ones, especially because. You know, if if I came in here and you guys were saying this movie was amazing, it's like your favorite one of his, then I would probably be like, oh, I guess I shouldn't check out the others. Yeah. But because you're saying that, no, this is actually like Corey's saying it's his least favorite of the of the other two he's seen, then I'm like, oh, well, then I can check out the others then and mm-hmm. maybe I can only go up. So, yeah, I still really like this movie. Like, like I've seen this movie four times. I think the most recent watch, like when I rewatched it for uh, this particular particular like episode of they made another one i was like it didn't hit with me as hard as it did before um and i've rewatched written on the wind and all that heaven allows recently um and they both still hit and this one didn't hit as hard as i remember it hitting but it's it's i still really like it and now liam also it was worth considering as i mentioned earlier good friend of mine emily watched like all that heaven allows too didn't care for it so like there's a chance that you get there and it's just like and it's never gonna happen well but Corey, what you've uh implied also before we started recording is that emily uh likes when harry met sally that might be fair to say we don't don't know know for sure i don't think she's seen it right right Mm -hmm. fair enough but uh you just you you get back to me about how uh, how they feel about when Harry met Sally. And... But I don't think they've seen it. I don't know. No, I know. And if they see it, because <laughs> you, you said that you're gonna you, you that might be the next oh, thing you watch. Yeah, you get yeah, back yeah. to me. Tell me. And uh, if Emily really likes when Harry met Sally, well, that means that I'll love uh, all have all that heaven allows. Everyone who I've wow. shown all that heaven allows to like loves it. Like my friend uh, Sarah, also my sister Paige, like loves. Uh, sure, I don't know if she loves it, but she really enjoyed it. Um, I don't know. I think it's the Cirque melodramas only get like better and better. It's a shame that he stopped making movies. Well, yeah, I would love to see more. Did he like stop before he died? Is he dead? No, yeah, like uh, that's what I was saying. Like, and so, um, like after that whole scandal happened with that uh, L.A. gangster and Lana Turner. He uh, he stopped making movies because I think he was just like so because oh. the, the the movie itself was um, a fairly progressive movie as well like talking about like like race um, in America and like a lot of people sort of 
uh, didn't like that. So I think like that made him kind of disillusioned, like coming from like Nazi Germany. And then also like the scandal and how it was covered in the press and uh, like how it affected the shoot and everything. And he was just like, it just left like a really bad taste in his mouth, I think. And so he just got out of Hollywood and he moved to Munich and taught film. And then he like co-directed some stuff in the 70s with like his students. But I haven't been able to track that down. Well, imagine being a student of Douglas. Right? Uh, He's like, I'll do it too. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy how like so <laughs> many of those, of those old masters just went to like, like another great German emigre who fled Germany in the 30s to make movies like Joseph von Sternberg ended up teaching at UCLA and he taught like the doors and they said Jim Morrison said that he was the single greatest influence on the doors so I mean <laughs> you've got you've got all these great sort of outsiders who um, for one reason or another wound up wound up teaching film instead cool yeah. my big yeah. takeaway is that me and uh Emily and Chloe need to watch When Harry Met Sally. That's my big takeaway from this. Yeah. yeah. This is such a determining factor now. The Sega. Yeah. I don't know if I have anything else. I think we're good. I think we I think we did this movie a service. Mm-hmm. I think we did the kind of conversation I was hoping we would have. Same. That's what counts. Well, I'm glad. Yeah, Liam, I'm sorry if we talked a lot. <laughs> no, yeah. dude, no, I feel you like, got I it. hate these because I feel like we're barreling over you sometimes. That's why I try to like bring you back in a little bit. I don't oh, know. Dude, Let's pull the good. curtain back for the listeners here. At least, you don't do what I do when I just like something where I, I talk too much to the point of of uh, shooting myself in the foot. No, I don't I'm, know I'm if glad anybody's... you guys talked about it. I, I've said everything I could say, really. So I think you guys got to get out there uh, what you feel about it. This makes me want to never get in a speedboat. I'll say that. Yeah, fucking <laughs> hell. They're dangerous, man. <laughs> I'll, I'll find it. I guess I do have another thing to say about this movie. Sleepaway Camp did the speedboat crash better. <laughs> <laughs> they also probably sped the footage up less. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is <laughs> yeah. so the, gnarly. The speedboat eh? footage is pretty sped up. Yeah, and yeah. there's like rear projection too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. With Rox Hudson wearing that dumb like fucking helmet or whatever, what? he looks like uh, the great. Oh, what's his name from Great Race? Great Leslie? What's his name? Uh, yeah, the, the great, the great. The great yeah, he's played by Tony Curtis. Yeah, I fucking okay. love that movie, dude. I love that movie too. <laughs> Jack Jack Lemon, Peter Falk. Leave. Uh, you gotta watch the Great Race. Uh, who else? Um. Oh God, what's her name? I like Peter Falk. Natalie Wood. Yeah, yeah she's fucking great in that. Uh, Liam, fair warning, that movie's like three hours, but, uh... Oh my, is is this the movie that, uh... It's a Mad, Mad, Mad World was based on? No. Uh, this They've movie got came a out... similar narrative thrust. Similar, <laughs> yeah, similar sort of zany thrust. Uh, actually, like, the second half of this movie is pretty much just like the Prisoner of Zenda. How, no. And how interested are you in a really big pie fight? The biggest, the, big, the biggest in pie. the history, a uh, big cream pie. Baked pies? Yeah. Oh, I'm very interested in that. And also hijinks and, and goof em ups and swindles. Yeah, I'm all right with that. In a in a car chase in a or two yeah, a race from New York to Paris in an automobile. <laughs> that does sound. I mean, I love road movies, so that sounds pretty cool. This is very much a road movie, I would say. Cool. I think you. I think you should put aside like 16 hours and watch the great race (laughs) (laughs) you know what they say about the great race once you watch it once you gotta watch it 
12 more times. It's true. You gotta really squeeze it in there. Um, I've seen it like three times. And it's like, that's like nine I've hours. Seen, of- I have seen the first half of it twice, and I've seen the full movie once. So I've seen the first oh half gosh. of it three times. I fucking love that movie. You guys, not, you guys, you're not lying. On the Wikipedia page, it says it is known for one scene that was promoted as the greatest pie fight yeah. ever. What would, would it have to compete you? with <laughs> up until that point? Um, itself. Uh, the desire to succeed. Oh my um, god! But no, man. Uh, I fell asleep the first two times I watched it, not because it was bad, but because we put didn't we put this out in Vietnam and I fell asleep. Mitch, uh, was it in Vietnam or was it in Canada? No. Well, we might have tried to fini- finish it. I definitely fell asleep at one point while trying to watch it with you, and then I fell asleep at one point while trying to watch it by myself, and then I eventually got through it in one sitting. I think at one point you fell asleep on my couch because you had like just arrived, and I was like, hey, I'm watching the second half of The Great Race, and then you just fell asleep. And I was like, okay, go and have a beer and <laughs> see you later. The Great Race was a major influence on Wacky Races, a Hanna-Barbera cartoon <laughs> series that sounds amazing. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's 10 out of 10. I wish it was a remake of something so we could talk about it. Dang. We can just pretend it, it is a remake, uh, or at least the original version of uh, It's a Mad, Mad, Mad 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 world you know i wonder if i could get away with that sometime if i'm just like oh yeah like this move old movies like it's actually a remake and like see if anyone's gonna like second <laughs> double no, check honestly, yeah you could have fooled me <laughs> okay so liam your fate now enters our hands that's not right our fate now enters your hands <laughs> Uh, with what we're going to watch next I week. I like this. Your oh, body, my oh choice. No, Let's go. Oh no. <laughs> Don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> now of all times for you to say that is like a wild time for you to choose to say that. <laughs> do your worst. Honestly, do okay. your worst. I kind of did my worst. I, I, have a, I have a feeling I know what you're about to say. I oh. think Corey knows what I'm about to say. Is, this, is this a trap? No, it's Mitch, it's not. Mitch it's, can probably figure this. It's out. not a trap, and it's not it's not my worst. Um, eventually, you know, bring we're us gonna your have worst. A, we're gonna have a lot of picks, so I will do that, Mitch. But I, I just can't miss the opportunity. So, I've picked two horror movies already. Uh, one perhaps more horror movie like than the other. The uh, the second, Funny Games, was a bit more artful, but two horror movies nonetheless. Um, and so I was thinking, how do I I I want to break the mold. I don't want to be. But uh, I have no idea what you're about to say. Just though. the horror movie guy. I need to pick something in a totally different genre. Um, not necessarily something that the other two guys would pick, but I just need to wow. swerve in some way or another and and get some other taste in our mouths. <laughs> and then I thought to myself, you know what? I could do that, but okay. Modern horror remakes mm. need us supporting them. It needs to be said. Hollywood needs to get the message that more stories that need to be tonight. told over and over. And they need to get the message that mm. when they put out the seventh installment of something, when they do something for the seventh time, at the very least, rebooting a franchise for the seventh time, they need to get the message that that is what I want. <laughs> And so, for that reason, guys, I gotta pick the um, 
hot off the presses film. I got to break yeah. tradition a little bit, um, and I'm going to pick Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2022 available on Netflix. Is this a meme? No, it's not Wait, a meme. We're not it. doing Scream? No. Dude. Is it out? It'll be out uh, this Friday, two days from now. Oh, wow. Okay. I uh, Damn. I expected you to say Scream. I figured you said seventh time because you were counting the TV shows, maybe. Uh, okay. I'm, I'm genuinely caught off guard. I was, I've never been more convinced of anything than the fact that you were going <laughs> to say Scream. And now I genuinely don't know what our Scream episode was going to be because I already made my pick for next week and it's not Scream. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is what I want. Wow. Okay. Hmm. Texas Chainsaw Massacre is that what it's called? What is it called? Texas, it's Chainsaw, called Massacre. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, yeah, they it's haven't done that one before. It's Except our... for the two other times they made a movie called that. Yeah, I love them like removing those numbers and everything, making it accessible. <laughs> Yay! They're pulling know, a right? Halloween and a Scream and uh, uh, Paranormal Activity. Maybe did they take the numbers off those eventually? <laughs> No, they they took the numbers off, but they're still subtitling it. They haven't they haven't done the full reboot. They have, yeah. We haven't circled all the way back around on those. Yeah, we can't be that far away, right? Yeah, I, I don't know because they just did a new one last year, but they still did the subtitles, and that was after a good long hiatus. So if they're still keeping the subtitles, I don't know. Hmm. Well, this one's a, a brisk hour and twenty three minutes, so not not a long. Oh yeah, movie. do they say that they they've announced the runtime already? Eh, that's what it says on the internet. Cool. <laughs> I can't imagine it. it I can't imagine it would be a long movie. And uh, wait, IMDb says an even shorter runtime. What have you got? It says one twenty one. This one says one twenty three. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Well, where does one hundred and twenty seconds go? 120 seconds is my favorite movie about a guy not getting his arm stuck in a rock. <laughs> it's about a guy who has a <laughs> knot in his shoelaces. It's the amount of time it takes him to untie the knot. <laughs> um, I will say this poster looks kind of cool. I love the poster. It does say 2021 on it, though. Oh, yeah? Is, is yeah. that one just like... where the sun is kind of obscuring his face? No, it's, oh, it's okay. like a painting. It's very abstract looking, and it says, "In 1974, the world witnessed one of the most bizarre crimes in the annals of American history. In 2021, the face of madness returns." Hmm. Oh, right. It's that. Is that the one? Yeah, it's kind of like his face, hey? But yeah, very painting looking. Yeah, very much painting. Painting. Very much painting looking. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a. That one was last year before they had confirmed, I guess, exactly when it would come out. And then uh, in the last couple of weeks, they, they put out a new, a new one, one. And I like that one, too. I like both of them. I think both the posters are awesome. I'm going to look it up because I have not scoped it. Images. And this way, um, if we keep doing our Texas Chainsaw movie to kick off every season, we'll get through the Texas Chainsaw movies quicker and then we could switch to something else. <laughs> 
I'm really surprised we're not doing Scream, man. Well, I don't I don't know um, when it's supposed to come out on video, and I just figured Texas Chainsaw is more accessible. I don't know when we can still uh, get to Scream. So no, once Scream is out like, on video, I think then we can make a more of a fast track to it. Cool. So Texas Chainsaw Massacre coming soon to Netflix and also this podcast um, works for me. So, Mitch, we're going to get out of here. But first, I have to ask you that one question that I always ask you. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything you'd like to plug? Mm-hmm. Actually, just like hold on for a sec, okay? Are you going to play Ram Ranch? Just, uh, just keep your shirt on. I gotta... This is important. This is extremely important. I so... bet it is. It is. Hello, I'm Russell Oliver, and I buy your used jewelry. If you have gold rings, gold earrings, I'll give you cash. If you have diamonds, bring them to me. I'll give you cash. I love gold. Bring no, gold. not I'll my gold. Don't take it. No. Is this a clip from Leprechaun 3, Corey? I don't remember this. Yeah, I think they did like a Russell Oliver cut. Mm. Um. It was for some advertising, I think, where they just kind of got that guy in there. I guess that's it. I guess they took his gold. <laughs> I, I hope he got the cash. <laughs> Bring it to me. I'm the cash man. Um, okay, Liam, do you have anything you would like to plug? Yep. You guys can find my film <laughs> writing alter ego, Graham the Haunted Marshmallow, on Twitter and Letterboxd. My username is Graham the Mallow. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Letterbox at Mr. Corey Price, and you can check out the other podcast that I do, uh, MK Podquest at mkpodquest.com. That's with our friend Neil. Right now, we are working through some bonus episodes and also doing uh, commentaries for the TV show Mortal Kombat Conquest. But there's a whole backlog over there as well, mkpodquest.com. Thank you all once again for listening to this episode of this podcast. They made another one. You can find us all over the internet on Twitter at They Made Another, which is all one word, and on Letterbox at TMAO. You can find us on basically every podcast platform in existence, including Anchor, Spotify, and if you don't like Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Breaker, Good Pods, probably some that we don't even know about. Um, just look up. They made another one. You can reach us via email at tmaopodcast at gmail.com with recommendations for future episodes, questions, comments, and what movies Liam should watch if he wants to get a greater appreciation for the 1950s. Our fantastic thumbnail art is done by Jade Dickinson, who you can find on Instagram at Jade Sketches. And with that out of the way, we'll catch you here next week for a hot off the presses Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And they made another one?